uh, just share briefly today, uh, and then we're going to move into a time around uh, the baptism. Um, but let me read for you a passage from Ephesians chapter 2. If, you, if you've got Bibles, you can follow along with me. It's Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 11. Paul says to us today as a church, uh, wrote to the Ephesians when he wrote, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by which is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By, the abolishing, by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple to the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. I'm going to back up and actually read from verse... I'm actually going to back up and read from verse uh, 5 as, as well to in that same passage. Where it says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, Jesus made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that one might boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I find that the, this letter to the Ephesians is one that I love to teach from, but I, I just don't want to, I just want to read it. I feel like it almost doesn't need a teacher. Just listen to the words of the Paul here. It's an incredible letter. Uh, friends, I'll start with, with, with an obvious point here and, and try and explain why I start with this point as we go. But the, the simple point that you and I, that everyone was by a creator created to exist inside of a family. You, you came into being because you had a mother and a father. Right? You're born right from your very conception there was family involved. And you were born into family. And that was not coincidental. And it wasn't sort of haphazard on God's part. It was very intentional. I actually think it's a part of an extension of what the Bible teaches us that you were made in the image of your God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That there's a familial quality to the relationship of the Godhead. And so 
born in his image, you were created to live in relationship. You were created in family. And even the way God does it, right? We start out incapable of doing anything at all for ourselves. If you don't do the most basic things for a child when they're first born, they cease to exist. You're born into family, and that picture's really beautiful. You're born into like a dependence on family. You need family. Uh, I love this Psalm 139. I, I could read the whole thing, but I'll just read a couple verses from verse 13. You were formed, you you God formed me in my inward parts, knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully, wonderfully made, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. That you were crafted, put together with intention, and wonderfully put together. But I love how even the psalmist points to the family, that you were crafted and brought into being even in the womb of your mother. And then born into this intention, but part of that intention being family. Now, the, 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 the thing about this is even as I talk about it, some of you are feeling little bits of pain around what I'm saying. Because the intention of God in the beauty of family is not always what we experience. And certainly we see it right from the beginning in Genesis 3 and 4. When sin enters the world, enmity enters the family. Right away, husband and wife are turning on each other. And certainly by chapter 4, brother takes another brother's life out of jealousy and comparison and competition. This thing that God had created and meant to be a, a place of life and a place to grow and a place of safety and a place of wholeness and a place where we would experience in a tangible, sacramental way the good news that we get invited into the family of God. Right? In our sin, gets broken. And enmity comes into the very place that God had intended for us to experience such life. In our sin, separation starts to touch relationships, and it doesn't just touch relationship and family. Sin begins to break relationships all over the place. And ultimately, it starts to break relationship down with God the Father. It creates separation. And so we've got then a problem. But the good news is that we have a good Father. We have a good Father that when He sees our brokenness and when He experiences that separation both between Himself and us, but watches it inside of our relationships, and certainly our family relationships, is a God of redemption. A God who looks at it and doesn't say, well, that was a bust. But who looks at it and says, I have a responsibility as a father to move, to come to rescue, to come to redeem. And so we have a God who creates and puts us in families, but a God who remains committed to families and loves to move in broken parts of our hearts and our lives to bring healing and restoration and to redeem and to have us then return back to the intention of God for our lives, to live inside a family. God is moving ultimately to reconcile you and I as sons and daughters to God the Father. And we see this play out really early in Abraham's story. You go to Genesis, first book in the Bible, we're only in the 17th chapter. 
where God begins to speak to Abraham, and part of the promise for Abraham is that he would be what? A father to a nation. So he uses this familial language all of a sudden, and he says to this father of the nation, there's a sacrament, a sign that I want you to enter into. On the eighth day of every male child's life, I want you to bring them and have them circumcised. And it says in Genesis 17, that will be a sign of the covenant, that you are my people. And so they're brought in and fathers physically bring their children in to be circumcised, to be marked, to be identified as covenant children. To be welcomed into relationship with God in that way as a part of the community of faith, as a part of the family. Uh, something that's happened in our, our life and in our world in a massive way, but unfortunately one of the greatest tragedies is where it's touched our faith and our relationship with God and His church, is we've started to think about our lives and our relationship with God really individualistically. Right? Now, don't get me wrong, a personal relationship with Jesus is paramount, incredibly important. But I would go as far as to say, you can't have a personal relationship with Jesus disconnected from the communal relationship with Jesus. It's like saying, I want to be a part of a family, but I don't want my brothers and sisters. I don't want to enter into this collective peace that God has actually saved you not to live like an island, not to be alone and to kind of float through, through life and hope it works. He's, he said, no, I have family, right from the beginning. And it's actually a part of my heart for you in relationship to not only your biological family, but to the people of God. And so we see it in Genesis already. And then when we move into the New Testament, we see that the same concept gets picked up in the way of God the Father. And if you look at Colossians chapter 2, Paul makes a, a direct connection between this promise and this covenant of, of circumcision and the beautiful gift and grace of baptism. When in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says... In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power working of God who raised him from the dead. We realize that then in baptism, as we come into the waters of baptism, we are baptized into Christ, into oneness and union with Christ, and praise God into oneness and union with Christ's body. They were taught that in baptism we're united and made one with Christ, but Paul also teaches us that in the waters of baptism we are made one with his church. We're made family. I absolutely love some of these passages, many that I could go to, but if we look at Galatians chapter 4 today, I love what Paul says uh, about what happens for us when we come into faith and relationship with Jesus and in through the waters of baptism. Uh, Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and following, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, 
but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I, I just love this language and this, this embodied way to take hold of what it means for me to come into relationship with Jesus. That something changes in my reality. That I'm made one with Christ and by proxy. I'm made one with his church. That I come into relationship restored, renewed, full with the Father. But I also come into relationship fully with you as my sister. With you as my brother. And together, see what God just did? He restored the brokenness of family. But that which was lost for us in our sin is restored in relationship to him, but in relationship to his people. Isn't that incredible? Sometimes I think we talk about the gospel, the good news, and we fail to realize how good it really is. This is incredible. As we prepare to come to the waters of baptism, a couple of things that I want us to think on today. The first one is this. That baptism and what happens here in the waters of baptism is all grace. Let me read for you a quote from Scott McKnight, who wrote a beautiful book called It Takes a Church to Baptize. At the heart of the story of Jesus, and I think I've got this, oh, thanks, George. Jedi. <laughs> At the heart of the story of Jesus, however, two earth-shattering events come to the fore. His death and his resurrection. Baptism is the passive act of being plunged into the story of Jesus. With those two prominent events taking front stage. It is about what God has done, not what we are qualified to do. I love this. To remember that when we come to the waters of baptism, and later in our service and every week as we come to the table... That these are, in very real ways, passive actions. Yes, we exercise our faith. Yes, we get up and we come. Yes, we, but the, the grace that is being given has nothing to do with me. I can't earn it. I can't make it happen. Someone who came, and, and maybe you're here today, and you've never been uh, a part of a baptism, and you would watch, and you would say, that's very strange. What is happening right now? I tell you, without the power of the Spirit, and without God presiding and moving in these places, it's quite bizarre. It, it starts to become, in a way, sort of like this idea of like a magic trick or something. And I'll tell you right now, I, I don't have any power to do anything. But praise God that by this passive action, we are plunged into the story of God. That we are brought into covenant relationship with the God who created us. That we are restored into relationship with family. This is incredibly good news, friends. And so as we prepare uh, to come to the waters of baptism, let us remember that all is grace. And the passage that I read to you today, I'll read again. If I could leave these verses with you today, uh, this would be my, my focus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. <coughs> and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. One of the things I, I love about today is that we get to baptize Willa. And uh, it, it's a beautiful picture as we baptize a, a child, as we baptize an infant, right? Of, of this reality that all is grace. Friends, it doesn't matter how old you are when you get baptized. You will have done as much to bring it about as Willa does today. Isn't that beautiful? As we come into baptism, we're going to start catechism classes on the 31st, and we'll, we'll talk about this together at, at length in one of those classes. But as we come into the waters of baptism, the scriptures teach us that there's two things that are needed, faith and repentance. Right? That we turn from our sins, and that we believe in the Christ. We allow him to plunge us into his story. Right? And today, as Will is baptized, make no mistake, Adam and Alexa will exercise both of those things. And you'll see in our liturgy, as her parents, they will exercise both of those things. And as they do, I want to quote uh, something from the Catechism, because I think it just phrases it really well. And then when we go into the liturgy, you'll hear very similar words again, as Adam and Alexa get a chance to commit to this. But as they exercise their repentance and their faith as her parents, they also vow to raise Willa in the knowledge and fear of the Lord with the expectation that Willa will one day possess full Christian faith on her own. Uh, Proverbs chapter 22, 6 is a famous verse, right? That we raise our children in the way that they should go. And so there's a commitment that they're making today too, that this baptism for Willa become the beginning of, of a covenant relationship with Jesus and one that continues to require uh, discipleship, encouragement. And the beautiful thing is that inside of the picture of family, one of the things God intended was that parents would have two things in the lives of their children, that they would have authority and that they would carry responsibility. Now certainly as our children age and they get older, the older they get, the more that authority and responsibility begins to shift to them as individuals, right? If, if parents exercise the same kind of authority and responsibility in a 20-year-old's life, um, we start calling counselors, right? It's pretty weird, you know. But if they don't early on, and if they don't continue to allow God to walk in this God-given charge on them as fathers and mothers, they neglect or negate their responsibility as parents to love and to serve and to care for their children and to exercise their authority as covenant believers to welcome Willa into that covenant relationship with Jesus with the full expectation and with great hope and faith that she will come into more and more day by day a beautiful relationship with Jesus. What I want to say to us today, and then we're going to move to the move to baptism, is that that authority and that responsibility is on Adam and Alexa as her parents. But church, that authority and that responsibility is also on us as her church. That today as she's baptized, she is baptized into Christ and into his body. And you are her family. 
And this is something for us to think about, certainly, as it relates to Willa today, part of the liturgy, you will have a chance to declare your commitment to that as a church. But as you do, could we just stop for a minute and realize Willa's not the only little one running around here? Nathan prayed in our preacher's prayer, thanking God for the next generation and for them coming into such a clear picture of the gospel. Church, we have an authority and a responsibility in the lives of our children to raise them up in the good news of the gospel, to, to welcome them into and continue to raise them in relationship to the God who created them, into a, an encounter with Jesus. And so as we baptize today, certainly Adam and Alexa will extend their uh, commitments and their faith to, 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 that, to that journey with Willa, but so too do we as a church, to be committed to the authority and responsibility that God has given us for our children and for the next generation.